Uh, my name is Daniel, and I am the community pastor here at Core Church, and it is my honor to get to share with you this morning. As you know, Pastor Brad, our lead pastor, is in Ethiopia, and um, good news is he will be back for Easter, and so today um, I get to share with you on this Palm Sunday. For those of you that are new to church, Palm Sunday is the day, uh, the Sunday right before Easter. We celebrate Jesus riding in to Jerusalem on the donkey, people waving the palm branches. When I went to church as a kid, uh, they gave everyone palm branches, and of course, when you give a little boy palm branches, that's no longer a palm branch. That is a method for hitting other people, so I'm glad that we don't celebrate Palm Sunday in that tradition here at Core Church, but um, while we're standing today, I want to read to you. Uh, we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3, by the way. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to download the Bible app on your app store. By the way, on that YouVersion Bible app, we are now in events and so what you need to do on the YouVersion Bible app, go to the more section at the bottom. You see at the bottom right hand of the app, it says more. Click on that, then click on events. Make sure your location services are on um, because we're tracking you. So, um, but you click, click on events and you'll see Core Church right there. You can follow along. It has today's scripture in it. It kind of has our big idea for today. It has a reading plan for this next week. Um, it lets you know what's going on here at the church. And most importantly, you can give on that app as well. And so it's, it's just an incredible tool. Really encourage you to check that out. So we're going to be in Philippians chapter 3 today. We're wrapping up our series, Amongst Life today, and so today we're going to be talking about identity. Um, Amongst Life is a series that was born out of our lead pastor, Pastor Brad's prayer retreat, where he went to a monastery, just kind of some of the lessons that we learned off, uh, he learned off of that, and so we're, we're unpacking some of that today. So we're going to be Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 3. Um, it's a little bit long, so, so let's just dive into this together. Here we go. For we who worship, but I'm reading out of the New Living Translation, by the way. For we who worship by the Spirit of God are the ones who are truly circumcised. What are we going to be talking about today? We rely on what Christ Jesus has done for us. We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. I was circumcised when I was eight days old. I'm a pure-blooded citizen of Israel and a member of the tribe of Benjamin, a real Hebrew, if there ever was one. I was a member of the Pharisees who demanded the strictest obedience to the Jewish law. I was so zealous that I harshly persecuted the church. And as for righteousness, I obeyed the law without fault. I once thought these things were valuable, but I now consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law. Rather, I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another I will experience the resurrection from the dead. I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things or that I have already reached perfection, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us. So God, would you speak to us today through your word? Lord, would you teach us about our identity in you? And God, would you, would you form that in us this morning? Would you stretch us? Would you challenge us today? God, would you open up our hearts and our minds to hear from you? And if you're ready to hear from God this morning, can I get a big amen? Awesome. You guys can be seated. 
So um, one of the most common questions that we ask someone, you know, when we're first meeting them, kind of sizing them up, getting to figure them out is, hey, what do you do for a living? And um, this question recently is kind of difficult for me to answer because um, I'm a pastor. And uh, so this actually this month marks my fifth year in full-time ministry here at Core Church. Thank you for that. When I was going over that in my head, I was not sure if people would clap or if that was going to be really awkward. So first service, appreciate you guys for having my back right there. And so the, the problem is when you're a pastor, when people ask you what you do, when you say, well, I'm a pastor, it can just change a conversation instantly. And, and I mean, I know most of you in here are not pastors, so you can't you know, relate to this on a personal level. But you can imagine what that's like. You know, you're having a conversation. You're just meeting someone. Things are going well. It's like, what do you do for a living? I'm a pastor. And all of a sudden you see it. And it's like, you know, like they just kind of shut down. And so it's kind of rough. And so what I've um, taken to do is when people ask what I do for a living, I tell them, well, I'm on staff at a church. And then usually that goes one of two ways. Either they will say, oh, that's great. Tell me more about that. And then I say, well, yeah, I'm a pastor on staff at a church. I'm not the pastor. I'm a pastor at the church. I like to make that distinction as well because that also sets different expectations. But then sometimes they just say, oh, that's great. And, and like you can tell, okay, press no further into that subject. And you say, well, Daniel, are you ashamed of being a pastor? No, not, not at all. But sometimes you just want a haircut, people. You know what I'm saying? Sometimes you just want to, and you want to make sure that the person cutting your hair doesn't have some vendetta against Christianity. And next thing you know, you've got a mullet and you didn't, you know, you weren't trying to be ironically cool with a mullet. You just have one now because your hairdresser hates pastors, you know? So anyways, what do you do? You I have a friend who, who's a doctor. He's a gastroenterologist. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a doctor who works on, like, the bowels and digestive system, intestines, all that kind of stuff. He tells people he's a plumber. And I love that answer. <laughs> I love that he tells people that he's a plumber. You know, so much of our identity is wrapped up in what we do. I went through this big quarter-life crisis right when I was graduating from high school, going into college. Uh, for those of you graduating, you probably know exactly what I am talking about, where I was just freaking out because I did not know what I wanted to be. I didn't know what degree I wanted to pursue. I didn't know what I wanted to major in when I went into college. I didn't know what college I wanted to go to. And so I was just at this major crossroads, and I was freaking out because I'm thinking, if I mess this up, I am messing up the rest of my life because I'm not going to know who I'm going to be. I'm not going to pick the right degree. I'm not going to get the right job. That means I'm not going to marry the right person. I'm going to be single, broken, alone for the rest of my life, living in a van down by the river. Church, can you get what I'm talking about here? Some of you, you, you can relate because you feel some of that pressure, regardless of whether you're graduating, you're younger, older than I am, you have this pressure, you feel like, it, once I get into this career field, once I finish this degree program, once I start my own business, once my Etsy shop gets off the ground, once this happens, once I'm aligned with this thing and I have this title, once I have this pedigree, once I hold this position, then I'll know who I am. Then my life will matter. Then things will really start to fall into place for me. And I, I just think that's such a, a dangerous thing. Because I, I wonder if we've become to equate our identity with our position. I mean, you can hear it in that question that we ask. Hey, what do you do for a living? Oh, I'm a fill in the blank. I'm a, like, what I am is what I do. And, and I wonder if we've got it all backwards in our life. 
So I went away for uh, my annual prayer retreat, all, all of the staff, which I think is just a great thing that our lead pastor emphasizes prayer and, and just vision enough that he, he mandates that the staff take time to go away and seek God. I mean, aren't you glad your church staff is seeking God and not just watching YouTube videos all day? Amen. And so um, I went away. Now, I did not go to a monastery, full disclosure, because I probably would have messed that up. I probably would have showed up to the monastery, and everyone would have had shaved heads and orange robes, and there would have been a bunch of statues of fat little guys all over the place, and I'd been like, I think I'm at the wrong monastery. Some of you guys got that joke. Some of you did not. So I did not go away to a monastery, but I did go away. I sequestered myself and, and went into this little cabin. I was not in Coil, Oklahoma, people. I'm not an outdoorsy person. Somehow I was in Coil, Oklahoma, this little cabin, seeking God. And normally what I do at my prayer retreat is I spend time going over my goals. I go over my goals from the last year. I go over my goals for the next year. How many books am I going to read? What am I going to do to further the mission of the church? How am I going to be a better father? How am I going to be a better husband? What things am I going to do? You know, I went on this many date nights with my wife last year. I need to go on this many more this year. I read this many books last year. I need to read this many more this year. You know, all these types of things, very focused on what am I going to do? And so this year during my prayer retreat, God took me in a very different direction. And I really felt God strongly impressing on me. He said, that, that you need to focus, instead of focusing on what you're doing, you need to stop and focus on who you're becoming. And, he's, and I really felt strongly that instead of focusing on the do, I needed to focus on the who. Who was I? What was my identity? And when I, when I really started to press into this, I found that I was expending a lot of energy, but I didn't necessarily have a lot of direction. That I was expending energy, but I did not have direction. And I wonder how many of you can relate to that, that you're in your life and you're, you're expending energy trying to get from the next thing to the next thing. You're expending all this energy trying to work your way up the ladder. You're expending all this energy trying to get the next position. You're expending all your energy trying to get to that next thing, thinking once I get there, it'll start to make sense. Once this happens, things will really start to fall into place for me. Once I accomplish this, then I'll really start to feel a sense of personal satisfaction and a sense of personal fulfillment. But once again, I wonder if we have it all backwards, that instead of focusing on the do, if we need to stop and start focusing on the who, who we are, what is our identity? And I wonder if we have a direction for what we're doing in our life. Like, why are you doing the things you do? Why do you get up and why, why are you going to work? And why are you working so hard for this? Is it just so that you can make more money? Is it just so that you can have a bigger house? Is it just so that you can, you can silence this voice that's been going on in your head, this nagging insecurity that you're not enough, that you're not good enough, and so you're going to prove yourself wrong. You're going to prove that teacher wrong. You're going to prove that parent wrong. You're going to make something out of yourself, and so you work so hard because you're running from an insecurity. Is, is that where all this comes from? Even in our faith, why do we do the things that we do? Why, do you, why are you here this morning? What, what was driving you? Why are, is it because your parents made you? Is it because this is what you always do? It's because this is what good Christian people do. They go to church on Sunday. Why do you read your Bible? Why do you pray? Why do you do all this church stuff? Is it because, well, it's what I'm supposed to do as a Christ follower, or is there something deeper than that? Are we expending a lot of energy with little direction? 
And so today, this is, this is what I want to talk to you about today. About, it's about developing a vision for your life. It's about developing a vision for yourself that's bigger, that establishes an identity that's bigger than your circumstances, that establishes an identity in you that cannot be shaken, that cannot be taken from you, that is, is not temporary, that is not fleeting, but one that is eternal and one that is lasting. It's about f- building a foundation for your life and for yourself that no one can take, that cannot be shaken, that cannot be moved. And I think the Apostle Paul was a guy who really understood this, maybe better than anyone. He had a sense of identity. He knew who he was. And because of that, it charted direction for his life. It charted vision. It charted passion. It charted purpose for him. Paul knew where he was going. Paul knew what he was doing because he knew who he was. And so we're going to look at this passage that we read today and see how big of a deal identity is, and I hope the things that God has spoken into my life during this prayer retreat is, is something that can, can really help settle some things for you this morning. So let's, let's dive in. If you're ready to dive in, can I get an amen? Awesome. Let's do it. So we're going to start in Philippians 3, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 3, the second half. Paul, writing to the church in Philippi, says this, We put no confidence in human effort, though I could have confidence in my own effort if anyone could. Paul is totally humble bragging there. Actually, probably not even so humble. Indeed, if others have reason for confidence in their own efforts, I have even more. Yeah, I was right. Totally not humble. So let me give you some context for what Paul is doing here. So in the early church, right after Jesus rose from the dead, early church stuff, one of the big debates in the church was how much of the Jewish law the Christians would keep and would adapt. Because um, if you're new to church, Jesus was Jewish. And a lot of his early followers were Jewish. But the great thing about Christianity that differed from Judaism, you know, if you were here when we kicked off this thing, and Rabbi Moshe was talking about it, you understand some of these contrasts, is that Christianity felt that their faith was not meant to be just in their community, but one that would be taken out. And so very different from what the Jews did. They went and shared their faith with Gentiles, shared their faith with people outside of their cultural context. And because of that, Gentiles were coming in and starting to believe. And so there was this big rift in the church with the Jews that said, well, we think the Gentiles should still hold on to our Jewish customs, to our Jewish traditions. And so Paul is writing this letter to kind of settle some of this. And the key thing that was at the center of this debate was the issue of circumcision. And, and so Paul is saying, and he's writing this to try to put this to bed, that, that as, as Christ followers, we don't need to hold the Gentiles to this standard, which I, for one, am really glad for. Because could you imagine how awkward this was, church, in the early church? A Gentile coming in, and he's, he's coming into the church, and he's like, man, I'm digging this Jesus thing. I like it. I like what you're saying. Yeah, this is starting to make sense. Well, Friend, then we have this Discover class for you. Let's go and, and let's teach you how to get plugged into the church. And you go into Discover class. And then next thing you know, you cut to a scene of this Gentile leaving Discover class. Like, nope, 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 nope. I'm glad we're not bound to the custom anymore. So what Paul is saying is he's saying that it's not an external thing that establishes our identity in Christ. For the Jews, it was not the external covenant of circumcision that established who they were. Because Paul was going on to say, look, if anyone could hang their hat on what they did on their accomplishments, it's me. It's Paul. 
because he says, I was smarter than anybody. I had more education than anybody. I went on, I got my masterate. I got my doctorate. I got my next doctorate. I knew the word better than anybody, but I kept it better than anybody too. I had the degrees. I had the pedigree. I had the heritage. I was being groomed for success. I was the next big thing. I was going to be on the cover of People magazine. I just, I had it all together. I had, I had everything that I wanted, and yet he says, I don't, I don't hold on to any of that. It's not about external things. So the first thing that we're going to discover about our identity is this. Our identity is not found in what we do. Our identity is not found in what we do. So I think we try to define ourselves by either our position, our place, or our performance. And, and we... This is just something we just have to guard against. We can't define ourselves by the position we have, the place we hold, the performance we do. One, because it's so fleeting. It's so fleeting. It can be here today. You can work your whole life trying to climb the ladder, put in the extra hours, burn the candle at both ends, work your way up to the top, get to that position you want, finally out of middle management, finally into an executive position, finally doing the thing you want to do, and the business could go under. And we've seen, I mean, you probably know someone that that's happened to. They finally got the thing they wanted and, and the business relocated or it got reorganized or something like that happened. So fleeting. Let me give you a personal example of that. A few years ago, I went through this thing. I, I don't know. It's maybe just a byproduct of getting older and my brain not working as well anymore. But I just developed this irrational fear of losing my hands. Like, I just, and, and Corey gave me an eye raise because you know what I'm talking about. Like, as a musician, and if, if you're, this is your first time, normally I'm up here on the stage, you know, playing guitar and just worshiping along with the band. But as a musician, I just had this fear of like, what if I, and I promise I was in a sober state of mind when this was happening, I promise. But I'm like, what if I lost my hands? I just totally doesn't sound bad. What if I lost my hands? You know, like, what would I do? Because I'm a guitar player, I'm a drummer, I play, you know, and I, so much of that was, was tied to my identity. It's like, would I be okay if I lost my hands? Like, would I be okay? Would I be okay? Or is my identity wrapped in something that honestly could be taken away from me? That honestly could be, you know, something could happen and I could no longer do that. It's like, would I be fundamentally, would I be okay if I could no longer do that? Our identity can't be wrapped in something that is, is fleeting. Um, a, another way that we can tell if our identity is wrapped in a position, place, performance is, is how well do you handle failure? How well do you handle failure? Like when you, when you fail at something, did you fail at something or are you a failure? A couple weeks ago, I remember I dropped the ball on something at work and, and you know what? It wasn't that I failed, but all of a sudden I got in this funk where I was a failure. It wasn't that I messed up. It was that I was a mess up. It wasn't that I didn't do a good job. It was that I was not good enough. And when your identity is wrapped in your performance, what you do, when you're doing great, it's great because, oh, man, I'm rocking it. I'm killing it. I'm, I'm killing it and dragging it home. I am making it happen. But when you don't do that, then all of a sudden it's not just that failure is some external thing from you, but all of a sudden you internalize that failure. And it's not that you failed, but then you are a Failure and that spiral of negative talk can become so damaging if our identity is wrapped up in our performance. Another thing is if our identity is wrapped up in our, our, 
position or in place, then it's so easy for us to also feel insignificant in our role, especially because we try to compare what we do to what other people do. Uh, my wife is a, a stay-at-home mom, and we're very blessed to be able to do that, not because we're rich, but because, you know, we say no to a lot of things to, to make that happen. And it, it just kills me when I hear her or I hear other moms say something like this, and you may have heard a mom in your life say this. It's like, well, I'm just a mom. I'm just a mom. And, and that just kills me because I'm like, do you not know how awesome it is what you're doing? You are raising our children, our, our snotty-nosed children at times, and you are, you are key. I would not be able to keep them alive. You know, I would, I would lose my sanctification at some point, and, and it, it, I, I would not be able to make it happen. But you do it. It's like you make it happen, but we minimalize it because the position's not sexy or because the position doesn't have clout. Because the position doesn't have glamour. Well, I'm just doing, I mean, I'm not doing that. You know, if I was doing that, it would really be something. You know, but I'm just doing this. I'm just a student. I'm just a parent. I'm just, I'm just a nurse. If I was a doctor, it would be something. But I'm, you know, I'm just, I'm just in middle management. If I was an executive, I would really be something. You know, I'm, I'm just getting my business. If we were really established, you know, if, if my client list was longer, then I would really be something. But I'm just doing this. And we minimize what, marginalize what we're doing now. But I want to tell you, if, if God, if you're doing what God has called you to do, you, you are not just a line worker. You are not just a waiter or waitress. You're not just an engineer. You're not just a doctor. You're not just a hairstylist. You're not just anything. You are doing what God has called you to do. There's honor in that. There's value in that. There is good in that, and you need to own it, and you need to not look down on yourself or compare yourself, but you need to accept what God's called you to do. Amen? So where does our identity come from? If, it doesn't, if it's not found in what we do, where does it come from? Picking it up in verse 7, Paul says this, I once thought these things were valuable, all this stuff, all the, the position, the place, the performance. I once thought it was valuable, but now I consider them worthless. Why? Because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I've discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I no longer count on my own righteousness, through observing the law, rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. For God's way of making us right with himself depends on faith. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, so that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, church, our identity is not found in what we do. Our identity is found in what Christ has done. Our identity is not found. Your identity is not found in what you do, but your identity is found in what Christ has done. I want to talk about three things about identity. Three things about identity. First one is this, that identity establishes value. Identity establishes value. When pursue things outside of Christ, we already talked about this. It's so empty. It's so fleeting. It's so meaningless. But when Paul discovered that it was only by putting his identity in Christ could he learn to value the right things. It was only by putting his identity in Christ could he learn to prioritize the right things. Listen to what he says here in that verse. I once thought these things were valuable. I once thought all the external things were valuable, but now I consider them 
worthless. See, when our identity is in Christ, we learn how to value and prioritize the right things. When your identity is in Christ, you'll know what decisions to make regarding your time. You'll know the work-life balance will no longer become a problem for you because your identity will be found in Christ, and you'll know what things are important to give priority to. You know what things will be worth your time and what things you don't need to value as much. And how do we figure that out? What are the things in our life that are eternal? What are the things in our life that are not fleeting? What are the things in our life that cannot be taken away from us? What are the things in our life that are going to only matter when we, when we die and, and a pastor standing up at our funeral and he's going over our life? What are the things that we want said about us? Those are the things that we value. Those are the things rooted in Christ that we give priority to. All the other things can be taken away from us. But an identity in Christ can never be taken away from us. It's valuing the eternal over the temporary. It's valuing the lasting over the fleeting. It's valuing the kingdom of God over the kingdom of money. It's valuing the things that matter in our life. Our identity establishes value. It helps us to make the right choices. How do we spend our time? What do we give priority to? The next thing that identity does, number two, is identity establishes virtue. Identity establishes virtue. Listen to what Paul says here. Paul says, I no longer count on my own righteousness through obeying the law, but rather I become righteous through faith in Christ. See, Paul didn't have to count on his own righteousness. He didn't have to strive and he didn't have to figure it out all by himself, working on his identity, his performance, making it happen in and of itself. But he said, no, it's, it's found in Christ, that it's in Christ that I know right from wrong. It's in Christ that I know good from bad. It's in Christ that I'm able to make decisions in my life that lead me down the path that I know I'm supposed to go. It's in that identity. And I think families figure this out naturally on their own. We understand this. I don't know about you, but, but you know, now I have, you know, so I have three kids, an, an eight-year-old, a six-year-old, and now a four-year-old, and we're starting to develop a family identity. We're starting to develop this identity. Hey, we're the Surratts. We don't do that. You know, we, we do this. We don't do that. Maybe similar in your families. You've heard something like that. You know, it's like, hey, it's, it's a Surratt thing. You wouldn't understand. You know, shirts like that, family reunions, all that kind of stuff. What are we saying? That, that our family identity establishes a set of behaviors and expectations that I don't have to go over every little thing with you. Because you belong to this family, you know how to respond. You know how to behave. We see this in sports all the time. That people, you know, the, someone will get out of line and the coach will get up and say, you know, that's not, well, if it's Bill Belichick, that's not the Patriot way. That's my Bill Belichick impression right there. You know, that, um, you know, you hear the coaches at college, you know, we're, the Oklahoma Sooners don't do that or the Oklahoma State Cowboys, we don't behave that way. You know, we hear it all the time. What are we saying? The coach is saying, I didn't have to spell it out for this guy. He should know that he belongs to this team and he's not supposed to act that way. That's what he's saying. And for us, what we're saying here is, is our identity in Christ determines and establishes what's the right and wrong things for us to do in our life. That I don't have to go over every little inch of the Bible. Well, does the Bible say it's okay to do this? And the Bible says it's not okay to do that. And what about this? And what about that? Where I'm looking for loopholes and I'm looking for ways to figure out what's right and what's wrong. What I'm saying, when my identity is in Christ, I know how to spend my time. When my identity is in Christ, I know the right thing to look at and I know the wrong thing to look at. When my identity 
identity is in Christ, I know the right thing to listen to, and I know the wrong thing to listen to. When my identity is in Christ, I know what website I'm supposed to go to, and I know what website I'm not supposed to go to. When my identity is in Christ, I know what friends I should hang out with and what friends I shouldn't hang out with. When my identity is in Christ, I know what situations are good for me to get into and what situations are bad for me to get into. I don't need him to spell it all out because I know that my identity is in him, and I know the things he wants me to value, and therefore I know that my identity establishes the virtue, the right living in my life. I don't have to have it all spelled out. I belong to him, and he leads me on the way to go. So before I get to number three, I want to show you quickly how I'm walking this out in my life. I think this would be a good time to sit down. I got all worked up there. Um, So I I said I went on my prayer retreat, and God really impressed on me to focus on who I was and not just what I was doing. And he really, and he really said this. And this is, this is the big theme for the day. So if you, if you hear nothing else, if you write nothing else down, really, really zone in on this here, that when you know who you are, you know what to do. When you know who you are, you know what to do. That your identity in Christ will be the safeguard for your life. That your identity in Christ is the guardrails. When you know who you are, you know what to do. So how, so how I walk this out in my life is instead of focusing on goals and what I was doing and all this stuff, I really I, I focused on some statements that would help me remind myself of who I, was, who I wanted to be and who I am in Christ. Now, this is not who I am all the time, but this is who I believe God wants me to be. This is, this is the person I believe God wants me to be. And our challenge for this week is for you to come up with some statements. Your statements will not sound like my statements. Your statements should not, do not copy my statements. I I officially now copyright my statements. If you copy my statements, you have to peel me off like 50 bucks or something, okay? You do not copy my statements. Develop your own statements, but but I want to read my statements to you to help you get the ball rolling for what I think, this has been so good. So I have this, I, I, I printed them out on a card, and I have this in my bathroom. I never do this kind of stuff, but I put it in my bathroom. I look at this every morning when I'm getting ready, Read this to myself. So this is what I say to myself every morning. The following statements are who I am. I will let the who define the do in my life. So these are my statements. I'm a passionate follower of Jesus. I am continually energized by the gospel, renewed by the word, empowered by the spirit, and transformed by grace. I am a husband who loves my wife as Christ loves the church. I lay down my life to honor and serve her. I continually try to recapture her heart with my words and my actions. I am a father that extends the love of the heavenly father to my children. I protect them, provide for them, and am fully present with them. I'm a pastor who is people-focused. I do what I do so that people can know Jesus more. I prioritize people over tasks. I'm a pastor who is prayer-centered. Prayer is the foundation of my ministry. I'm a leader committed to learning and growth. I actively search for information and materials that make me more informed, efficient, and productive. I don't, I don't always get that right. I don't always live up to that. But one of the great things about having these in my life is, is when I mess up, when I screw up, I, I have to come back to this the next morning. And I have to look at this. And maybe I didn't get in the word as much as I wanted to one day. Maybe I didn't pray like I wanted to one day. Or maybe my spiritual life was just really dead one day. And I felt like, oh, I'm such a, I'm such a bad Christian. 
just such a fake. I just, I just, you know, all those thoughts that can come into, I don't even know what it means to follow it, but then I have to get up the next morning and I have to look at this and I have to say to myself, no, I'm a passionate follower of Jesus. I'm continually, I'm energized by the gospel. I'm renewed by the word. I'm power, empowered by the spirit. I'm transformed by the grace. You know, I may have had a failure yesterday, but that's not who I am. That's not who I am. I may have had a failure with my kids yesterday, but you know what? I'm not a failure as a parent. I'm a father that extends the love of the Heavenly Father to my kids. You know what? I may not have uh, loved my wife like I should have. I may have had, you know, a, a harsh word to her. You know, we may have gotten in the fight, but you know what? That's not who I am as a husband. I'm a husband that, tr- that loves her as Christ loves the church, that when I have these statements, it brings me back to center. It doesn't let my failures define me. It doesn't let my past define me, but instead I'm defining myself by who God wants me to be. It's not perfection, but it's something that keeps me going in the right direction. You see how this is different than I want to increase sales by 50% next year. I want to read five more books. I want to lose 25 more pounds. It's not any of that. But it's saying, God, who do you want me to be? And God, would you mold me and would you transform me over in that image? God, that whatever it takes for me to become that person, whatever it takes for me to be that passionate follower of Jesus, then God, sign me up for that. God, that's what I want in my life. God, whatever it takes for me to be a husband that loves my wife as you love the church, God, sign me up for that. Whatever it takes, God, for me to be that person that I let the who I am define the what I do in my life. Because when you know who you are, you know what to do. This is what I'm talking about, church. All right, I got to hurry. Third thing, identity establishes vision. Identity establishes vision. Listen, listen to what Paul says here. I want to know Christ and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. I want to suffer with him, sharing in his death, So that one way or another, I will experience the resurrection from the dead. See, Paul had a vision for his life. He was not interested in doing the church thing. He was not interested in being a safe, good little Christian. He was not interested in having God in a box he could take out and use whenever he needed them. But when he didn't, put him back in the box and put him back up on the shelf. Paul had a vision for his life that was all-encompassing. Man, I want that kind of vision for my life, church. I want that kind of a vision for my life where my identity is so wrapped up in Christ that I'm willing to go where he goes, that I'm willing to allow him to put me in situations that stretch me beyond my comfort, that I'm willing to, Paul said, Paul said I want to suffer. Man, I don't want to suffer. That is crazy. I don't want that. But can I tell you something? I want an identity that's so wrapped up in Christ that I want to want that. Because Paul understood something. Paul understood that when I suffer with Christ, when I lay down my life for him, that I'm not going to stay there, but I'm going to experience, like we're going to talk about next week, that I'm going to experience the resurrection power of Jesus living in me, flowing through me, giving life into me and everyone else that I come in contact with, that even though I'm suffering now, if I'm in the midst of God's will, if my identity is wrapped up with him, that suffering's not going to last forever. The night's not going to last forever, but joy is going to come in the morning. Come on, church, help me out, that joy is going to come in the morning, that God's going to do the work, that his power is going to live in me, and it's going to flow through me if my identity would be wrapped up in him. He goes on to say, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. I've already reached perfection. Doesn't that just take the pressure off? But I press on. Some of you today, you need to press on 
and possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing. Identity establishes vision. I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Our identity is in, is not in what we do, but our identity is in what Christ has done. It's in what he's done. I want to remind you today of what Christ has done for you. The Bible says that God so loved us that he searched for us when we weren't looking for him. We weren't looking for him. You weren't interested in him. You didn't know who he was. You didn't care about who he was, but he knew you and he cared about you. And he went and he sought you out. He went and he sent his son, Jesus, because sin separates us from God. Our sins, our failures, our shortcomings, they separate us from a holy and perfect God because that's what sin does. Sin breaks relationship. It breaks relationship between us and God, but it also breaks relationship in your life and in your relationship. Sin breaks that relationship, and God could stand by no more and have relationship with us broken, and so he sent Jesus into this world, and Jesus did what you and I could not do. Jesus lived a perfect life. He was the only innocent man ever to walk this earth, and Jesus paid the penalty when he died on the cross. He paid for our sins. He satisfied the justice requirement of God, and he died in your place, and he died in my place so that our sins could be forgiven, so that our sins could be covered up, so that we could have restoration and reconciliation back to God, and we can have restoration and reconciliation reconciliation back to one another. But the good news is, church, he didn't stay in the tomb. He didn't stay dead. But on the third day, he rose again, and people saw him, and his disciples saw him, and they died horrible deaths because it wasn't a cover-up. They didn't die for a lie. They didn't die for a cover-up. They died because they saw a man that they saw dead and buried on a cross, up and walking again. I don't know about you, but I'm going to get on the side of someone that does that. And when he did that, he broke the power of death and he broke the power of sin once and for all. That we don't have to live captive to that anymore. That you don't have to live in bondage to that anymore. Church, can I tell you what your identity is? Your identity is that you were bought with a price. Your identity is that you are completely and totally loved. Your identity is that you are fully forgiven, that you are fully redeemed, that you are fully restored, that you are fully healed, that you are fully transformed, that you are fully forgiven, that you are fully accepted. That is your identity in Christ church. You are not your past. You are not your hangups. You are not your addictions. You are not your hurts. You are not your previous failures. That is not who you are. Your identity is in Christ, covered under the blood of Jesus, protected by the sacrifice of God's own son. This is who you are. This is who you are. You're not that person anymore. The old is gone. You're a new creation in Christ. That's who he wants you to be in church. Can you see how once you understand that, that establishes the vision for everything in your life.